0: Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's word together. Before we even get started in the message, uh, just as kind of a way of an introduction, I'm curious, how many of you here are fans of reality TV shows, right? Like, it's okay to admit it, even though you're in church, like, a few of you are proud. Some of you are kind of like, I don't know, you know? I, I think like we all like reality TV shows because we could see ourselves in them, right? Like I know for me, when my wife and I were first uh, married, I remember uh, some almost 15 years ago, she worked at the University of New Mexico, the hospital there. I was a, col- I was a college student and we both would come home at seven at night, And uh, I don't know how many of you remember the bunny ears that you'd have to put on a TV, you know? Like, you'd have to wiggle it around and stuff. And being newly married, we didn't have cable. And so what we did was we had those bunny ears, and we got one channel. And that channel was CBS. And we watched Big Brother. Any of you guys like that show, right? (laughs) Like, so we watched that reality show. Now, of course, eventually, we got cable. And so we didn't watch Big Brother anymore like we used to. But we like reality TV shows because we see ourselves in them you know, I was thinking for a lot of us, we love American Idol. How many of you love that show? Like you love it. It's your favorite show because it feels like a nationwide karaoke contest. You hear some of those people and you're like, man, I could win that. I could do that. I could sing better than them. You know, others of you, you like Survivor. Survivor is your show because some of you have training and, sur- and surviving out in some really harsh areas. And so you watch Survivor and you're like, pfft. I could do that. That'd be like a vacation, right? Like we see those people and we're like, man, I could do that. Or maybe you like uh, MasterChef. How many of you like that show? Like I like food. I like, I like to watch people cook food. And you're like, man, I'm such a great cook. I could do this. I could win. I, I have a dream of owning my own restaurant. That could be me. I want to play that. I want to win that. I want to be able to be uh, a master chef." But I think the reason why we like a lot of these reality TV shows is because they take ordinary people like you and me and we're promised that one day we could be successful, that we could have everything we've ever wanted in our life. We watch these shows and we think that could be me. I could reach my dreams. I could achieve those dreams. You know, I could have my 15 minutes of fame. And really the question I want to ask us today is, is that really what we should be looking for in life? Is that really everything we should be striving for, fame, fortune, everything the reality TV shows offer us? And so today I want to ask you a question. What are you looking for in life? What are you seeking? Why are you here on Easter? Now, if I were to go around the room and ask each one of you that question individually, I'm sure some of you would say, well, I'm here on Easter. What I'm seeking is a good meal. You know, like I'm here because mom brought me here. Grandma brought me here and I want that meal. And so what I'm seeking and why I'm here on Easter is getting that food. Others of you, you might be thinking, well, I'm seeking happiness. I'm looking to be loved. What I'm looking for this Easter is to find success, to find inner security, Others might say, well, I want fame or fortune. I'm looking for what those reality TV shows are offering. And we could go on and on and on. But this is an important question. What are you looking for in life? Because how you answer that question will determine the course that your life will take. Now, the reason why I wanted to ask this question, why we're starting with this question, is because this was the first question Jesus was asked, that he asked during his earthly ministry. In fact, in John chapter one, you can read it later. Um, John the Baptist, he's this prophet and he's out there and he's doing his thing and he sees Jesus walk by and he goes, there's Jesus, the Messiah. And these two guys who are hanging around John the Baptist, they're kind of two nuggleheads. They kind of uh, hear this and they walk up to Jesus And Jesus asked them this question. He's like, what are you seeking? What are you looking for in this life? And so these guys, they kind of just freaked out for a minute. They kind of froze, which I think a lot of us, if we met somebody famous, we might be like, I just got to remind myself to breathe. You know, like we might get a little freaked out, a little worried. That's what happens to these two guys. And they ask Jesus a very kind of creepy question. They're kind of like, hey, rabbi, hey, teacher, uh, where are you staying? Like they kind of resorted to some awkward social talk, which I think a lot of us can do. And it's a creepy question. But Jesus, he knows what they really want to know. And so he gives them an answer that kind of has dual meaning. He knows that they're not curious about where he's staying, what he's up to, where he's living. They know the true question, the thing that they really want to know is, hey, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you who people say that you are? And Jesus tells them, hey, come and see. Come and check out if I truly am the Messiah. And that's the answer for all of us today. If you're here today and you're wondering, is Jesus the Messiah? If you're here and you really want to know, is Jesus the answer for everything you're searching for and looking for in life? Listen, you can't just read about him. You can't just learn about him. You have to experience Jesus. You have to come and see for yourself. In fact, that's the theme of this entire weekend. That's the title of today's message, come and see. Now, why did Jesus give these two guys this answer? Because he wanted to point them in the right direction. And ultimately what Jesus is saying is that everything you're looking for in this life, everything that you're searching for is found in a relationship with me. And so these two guys uh, who, who were originally told by Jesus to come and see. We, we know they're uh, Andrew and John, some of Jesus's first disciples. And so they started to follow Jesus and others kind of came along and what they saw was so eye-opening to them. And for the next three years, these disciples would see Jesus do some incredible, amazing things. And what Jesus did made it very, very clear to them that he wasn't just some man, he was everything they were looking for in life. So Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to teach people this incredible truth about who God is. He's teaching them about life. He's teaching about how important it is to forgive other people and how forgiveness is important for us. He even teaches like, hey, you need to love your enemies. You need to pray for those who persecute you. Then he talks about serving. He talks about giving. He's got all these truths. This wisdom just flows from Jesus's lips. He's even teaching about how people are equal. This culture did not agree with that. They didn't see people as equal. But Jesus is teaching that. He taught that men, women, slaves, free, rich, poor, citizens, foreigners, they are all equal heirs to a heavenly inheritance through Jesus. And that they were all to be treated equally, uh, fairly, and without favoritism. Jesus' message began to invade a society that was desperate for this reality. And the religious leaders of the day, they didn't like what Jesus was teaching. They didn't like all of this because they were like, if anyone struggles with sin, if anyone has a past or they have some struggles in their life, then they were like, well, we're going to push you out because the religious leaders of the day said, hey, God doesn't love you. You have to earn this relationship. You have to do enough good things to earn God's blessing, God's favor. And these religious leaders of the day, they believed that they deserved God's love and favor because they were better than everyone else. Yet all throughout the Bible, what do we see? Jesus hanging out with some sinners. Jesus hanging out with the very people the religious leaders pushed away. Jesus was willing to love these people in the midst of their messes because he wanted to show them what life could be like. He wanted to bring them into a relationship and save them from their sins. But not only did these disciples hear these amazing, eye-opening messages, they also witnessed Jesus do some miracles. They saw Jesus walk on this stormy sea. They saw Jesus take some bread and some loaves of fishes and multiply it, and feed thousands of people. They saw Jesus heal the deaf, the blind, the disabled, the people who were sick. And Jesus comes on the scene, and people worshiped him, and loved him, and these Jewish people wanted to make Jesus their king. And so this invitation to come and see was more than these disciples could have ever imagined. And the people loved him, And everywhere he went, thousands of people just wanted to get access to Jesus. And then Jesus says something that made zero sense to the disciples. At the height of his power, he said something unexplainable and unfathomable. At the height of his glory and his power, with everyone loving and worshiping Jesus, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says something shocking to them in John chapter 10. In John 10 verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, after the disciples heard this, they're probably like, whoa, 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 whoa. hold on, Jesus. Like, what are you talking about here? We thought you were going to be the king and you were going to rescue us from Rome. Jesus, we get it. You are the son of God. But what are you talking about here? You have this power to do miracles and you can use that power to build an earthly kingdom. You can use that to to break us from this terrible tax code that we're in. You can unite us as a people group. What are you talking about, Jesus? That you're a shepherd and not a king. What are you talking about? That That you're not gonna rule over us, but die for us. What are you talking about, Jesus? Why would you do this? The disciples didn't understand that it was necessary for Jesus to die, but he didn't leave them in suspense. He didn't leave them hanging because in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus says, or basically it says this, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So the question we got to be asking ourselves is like, who in the world would write this into their story? Like, why would Jesus get these disciples together and go, hey guys, I got this great plan. I'm going to have some amazing teachings. I'm going to teach you guys about who God is. I'm going to tell you about how to live life and forgiving others and serving and generosity. I'm going to tell you all of these great things, but not only that, I'm going to do some miracles too. I'm going to heal some people. I'm going to walk on water. I'm going to basically be a food bank all on my own. I'm going to come here and multiply some food and feed thousands of people. And so he comes on the scene and he does all these things. And then he says, you know what? And then eventually I'm going to get tortured, crucified, and I'm going to die. Hey guys, who's in today, right? Like who would want to be a part of that? Who would write that into their story? But Jesus said that it was necessary for him to die. That was a part of his plan and his purpose. And that statement that Jesus told the disciples to come and see is the key to understanding the significance of Easter today. Because I want to invite you to come and see the significance of what happened to Jesus in his death and resurrection. I want you to see the significance of Easter today. But in order for us to understand the significance of Easter, we have to understand something. There's good news and there's bad news to this. And so I want to start off today with the bad news because it's going to make the good news so much better. And the bad news is this, you're not a mistaker, you're a sinner. You're not a mistaker, you're a sinner. Because what is sin? Sin is so important for us to understand. In fact, sin is an archery term that means to miss the mark. And so God has a bullseye out there for us. That's the mark. And for us, we have all missed the mark. God's the one who gets to decide what's good and what's not, because he is God. And so he's out there and he set the bullseye and every single one of us have missed the mark. And that's the reason why Jesus had to die. He had to become sin for us. He had to die for our sins. And really we can trace sin to its origin. And all we have to do is go back to the book of Genesis. And we read that Adam and Eve, they're hanging out in the garden and God says, hey, don't eat of this tree. What do Adam and Eve do? They eat of the tree, right? And then sin enters the world. And so when you look at our world, when you read the news, when you get on social media and you see all the things going on in our world that bother you, the problems, the tragedies, the wars, all the things that we're facing, when you look inside of yourself and you see all the things in you that bother you, the temptations, the struggles, the sin that you deal with, when you look at other people and you go, man, I'm really bothered by these people. I don't like these people, you know? You see the things in other people that bother you and offend you. All of this, all the problems with our world and in our world goes back to one thing and that's called sin. And the Bible makes it clear that it's a problem that all of us have. It's a common thing. We're all sinners. Because listen, it doesn't take a whole bunch of sins to make you a sinner. It's not like, well, there's a magical number, right? And once I hit that, then I'm a sinner. No, it only takes one sin to make you a sinner. And because of our sin, we cannot be in the presence of God like we were meant to. Because God and sin cannot exist in the same room. Because God is so holy, he is so perfect, he cannot come in contact with sin. And so we are now separated because we've all missed the mark. We're all separated from God because of that. And so sin is simply this. It's a choice that we make to live our lives our way instead of living it the way God wants us to live it. And so, God has given us laws and rules and the Ten Commandments and a standard to live our lives. We're supposed to live our lives that way because it's going to give us the best possible life. But we're all sinners. We've all missed the mark. But we don't like the word sin, do we? It's a little personal. To say that I'm a sinner would imply a negative connotation. And I don't like the word sinner. And what I want us to understand today is because of our world, the world that we live in, and we don't like to say that we're sinners, so what do we do? Because we don't want to offend other people. We don't want to make people a little uncomfortable or anything like that. We've come up with a better word, a word that's a little more palatable, one that, you know, is easier to swallow, makes makes ourselves feel better. And what we've done is we've replaced the word sin with the word mistake. Because it sounds better, doesn't it? Oops, I made a mistake. Sounds a lot better than I'm a sinner. Now, I have three boys Brody, Asher, Dawson, and Dawson is my youngest one, and he constantly reminds me that we are all sinners and we need a savior because that kid pushes my limits sometimes. I love the kid because he gives me lots of examples for life, too. And so, uh, you know, we were able to go to um, Chick-fil-A, the, the Lord's chicken, the, the church of chicken, you know. And so we're there. And, and I don't know if you've had um, what I like to call communion, those cookies that Chick-fil-A has, right? And so we go and the kids every now and again, they love the Chick-fil-A cookies. And they're like, Dad, can't we have the cookies? Can we get the cookies? Can we get the cookies? Okay, yeah, that's fine. So I get their dinner and I get it all set out. And I'm like, okay, guys, pick your cookie. I said, but don't eat it until after your dinner's done. Then you're going have the cookie. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as I'm sitting down, Dawson goes, ha ha, bites the cookie and starts eating. It didn't even touch his dinner. I hadn't even sat down. I barely finished the sentence. He laughs and is eating the cookie. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? Why are you doing that? You're sinning against me. You're deliberately disobeying me. And as he's laughing, he goes, ha ha, I made a mistake. I was like, no, you didn't, you didn't make a mistake. You made a mistake at school when your teacher said, what's one plus one? You said four. Like, that's a mistake. You sinned. You chose to eat that cookie. We don't like the idea of being sinners, but that's what we are. Robbing a bank, having an affair, that's not a mistake. You don't accidentally do those things. You choose to do those things. But we like the idea of being a mistaker because it makes us feel better than being a sinner sin has broken our world. Every ounce of pain, everything that's going on in our world is not because of God. It's because of our sin. We have those choices. We made those choices. In fact, Jesus even said this in Mark chapter 7, out of a person's heart, Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. That's a heavy list. All of these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. See, listen, every war, every uh, rape, every murder, every divorce, every crime, every hurt are all here because of our choice to sin. And our sin has broken the world. But sin also hasn't just broken our world. Sin's a little bit more personal. It hits a little closer to home. Sin has broken us. Because in our nature, the Bible tells us that we don't naturally want to follow God. We don't naturally want to obey Him. We want to do what we want to do because we think we know better. We want to live our lives the way we want to. And so we have this desire to pursue sin. Sin. The choices we have made have wrecked relationships and our souls and our lives. And we have to live with the consequences of those decisions. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, why in the world would we use Easter to talk about sin? Like, I don't want to talk about my sin in front of my mom or my grandma here today, you know? Like, I'm all dressed up. I'm looking good. We're going to have some fun today, do an Easter egg, kind of like, I don't want to talk about my sin. Why would we use Easter to talk about sin? And here's why. Because it's impossible for you to come and see who Jesus is and what he did and what happened on Easter if you don't understand that you are a sinner, and if you don't understand the impact that your sin and my sin has had in the world and in our lives. But if you're here today and you're still struggling with this idea that you're a sinner, maybe I can make it a little bit clearer for you. Because how many of you, by a show of hands, are here today and you've lied? You've told a lie. I don't care, big lie, little lie, small lie. Some of you haven't raised your hands. You're lying, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, I could better do the double hands, right? Like, So here's what happens. What happens when you, are, when you lie? you're called a liar. Now what happens, how many of you here today stole something, right? Some of you haven't risen your hands because you're like, nope, I'm perfect. Oh, you claim everything on the IRS? Tell me more about that, right? I know you don't, all right? You know you're like, that's just under the table. That doesn't count. No, it counts. That also includes you go to the movie theaters and you never packed your purse or your pockets with food and snacks, you know? You just walk in there and you pay those ridiculous prices, you know? So there should be more hands going out because you've stolen. And what happens when you steal? You're called a thief, right? Jesus says that if we have lust, that lust is a sin. That if we look at someone with a sexual desire and that person isn't our husband or our wife, that we've committed adultery. Now, don't raise your hands, okay? Because the reality is we've all done that. We've all committed these sins. Here's what I'm trying to get across to you today. We haven't made mistakes. We've chosen to sin. We've chosen to live lives not following God's ways and the way that God has called us to live. And sins have caused so much destruction in our lives and in our hearts. Because the problem is that sin hasn't just broken our world. Sin has broken us. We're not mistakers, we're sinners. Now we can feel the heaviness of this moment. Realizing all of this, and some of you are sitting here today going, why did we come and check out this church? Like, why am I here? Because welcome to Awakened Church. We're here to make you feel good about yourself, right? Like, I just wanted to encourage all of you today and tell you how horrible and pathetic you all are and we'll see you next Sunday, all right? Let's worship, right? That's not what I'm trying to do at all. The reason why I'm making a big deal out of this is because we, as human beings, we have this ability to justify what we do, and we like to turn our sins and we like to call them mistakes. And what we love to do is we love to compare ourselves to other people. We like to look at politicians and say, "Well, I'm not that bad. Look at what they said. Look at what they did. I'm a lot better than them." Oh, look at, look at that guy. Look at that girl. Look at that actor. Look at that actress. Look at my neighbor, look at that person I go to school with, look at that person I go to work with. I'm not that bad. I'm doing OK. But the Bible makes it very clear that you're not. Romans 3:23 says, "For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God." Amen. So we don't make mistakes. We choose sin. All of us do this. And the reason why this is so important for you to understand today that you're a sinner? is because until you realize that you are a sinner, you don't realize that you need a savior. And that brings us to the good news and the best part of this message. And that is that Jesus took the judgment you deserved. Jesus took the judgment you deserved. Again, thinking back to our story, going back to the very beginning, Jesus at the height of his popularity, everybody's worshiping him, everybody's loving Jesus. And people are like, Jesus, you're the man. We want to make you King. And Jesus enters this city and people are lined up on the streets. They're bowing down. They're worshiping him. They're shouting, Jesus rule and reign, be our King. But Jesus wouldn't be their earthly King because Jesus understood that brokenness in this world and in our lives wasn't found in another political system. It wasn't found in some savior president. The ultimate problem was that until someone would deal with this sin issue, we would never find wholeness with God. We would never feel complete. We would never experience what life is truly meant to be. And so Jesus, again, gathers his disciples together. and He's like, hey, I know you want me to be your king. And one day I will be your king. I will rule and reign and set up my kingdom here on this earth, but not right now. I got to take care of some business first. I have to go to the cross and pay for your sins. I have to go to the cross and deal with the, the, the corrupt, sinful heart that's in you. And I'm going to pay for your sins so that you can be reconnected, restored, and have this right relationship with the Father. In fact, I love how 1 Peter 2.4 puts this. It says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that you may die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you shall be healed. I love that verse because what it's saying is you're not a mistaker, you are a sinner. Verse 24, it's like Jesus took on all of that sin, all the things that you've said, all the things that you've looked at, all the things that you've done in your life, all the bad choices that you have made in your life, all of that sin, he took it upon himself and he died on that cross. All your sins, past, present, and future, he put it all on himself. He bore those things so that you would not face the judgment of God, that you could experience the blessings that come from God. And then verse 25, it says, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your soul. See, Jesus, what he did for us on that cross is he took what separated us from God. He eliminated it from the equation. And now we can have a right relationship. We can call God our father. We can truly experience what life is meant to be lived. See, what you need to understand about the good news of Easter, what you need to understand about the gospel message is that it all goes back to this. Jesus lived perfectly. He died sacrificially perfect. And he rose again because he is perfect. And because of all of that, Jesus paid the price for your sin and my sin. And listen, this should get us a little excited today if we've ever tasted and experienced what Jesus has done for us. Jesus paid for your sins when it should have been you. You can be forgiven today. And listen, that's the best news you'll ever hear your whole life, that your sins have been paid. But we know that wasn't the end of Jesus' story, was it? That's why we're here today. That's why we're focusing in on this. Because three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. And when Jesus said, hey, come and see to his disciples, they never expected to see Jesus alive again. They saw him dead. And then Jesus meets up with them. And they're like, Jesus, is that you? You were dead, but now you're alive. Surely you must be the son of God, the savior of the world. Sinners need a savior. And Jesus took the judgment that we deserved. And so I want to close with a question. If you're a sinner, and I think we established that pretty clear up front, you are a sinner, I'm a sinner, the biggest question in our life that we have to answer is this. What are you going to do with Jesus? Have you made Jesus your Savior and your Lord? Have you put your faith and trust in Him? If you've never done that, let me tell you where you're at right now. You are separated from the Father. You don't understand the life that Jesus has called us to live. You don't understand how good life can be. You are right now separated from the Father. And you are not without God's power and without God's presence. And you will spend all eternity, which is a very long time, away from Him. But that doesn't have to be your story. Today, you can surrender your life to Him. Don't delay. Don't be like, well, you know, I got to clean up some things in my life first. I'm a little messy over here no, you don't have to do that. That's the whole reason why Jesus had to die. There's no amount of cleaning up that would get you right with the Father. So today, come and see who Jesus is. And when you give your life over to Jesus, I love what 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. I love this verse because what this verse is saying is you can come to Jesus with all your sin, all of your guilt, all your shame, all those labels, all those sins that you have done, those things that you feel like has marked your life. You can come to Jesus and you give that to Jesus. And in exchange, what he does is he gives you forgiveness. He gives you grace. He gives you mercy. He gives you love. He gives you a new identity as his son and his daughter. It's a great exchange. You have a new identity. You have a new label. And God will pour out his grace and his forgiveness onto your life. And there is a transformation that happens on the inside. See, the sinful things that we do on the outside, those are just symptoms of what's going on on the inside. Jesus comes into your life to transform you. See, what I want you to know about Christianity is that it's not learned behavior. Or if you do all the right things, make sure you check all the right boxes. It's not about behavior modification through discipline. It's about experiencing Jesus. It's about giving him all your guilt, shame, all your sins, and experiencing God's free gift of grace through faith. Listen, today, I am so desperate for you to experience what I've experienced in my life. This isn't for me. I'm not standing up here saying, well, I'm free. I'm saved. I'm good to go. I want you to experience the same thing. I know there's many others who've given their lives to Jesus who would want you to experience the same thing, the freedom that can come from a relationship with Jesus. Jesus paid for your sin when it should have been you. He put that judgment on himself so that you could experience the blessings of a relationship with the Father. And all you have to do is believe that Jesus is Lord, believe in the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus. Make him Lord of your life and say, God, just the same way that you resurrected Jesus, God, would you resurrect me with eternal life? I believe if Jesus were standing here today in our presence right now, I believe Jesus would be inviting us to come and see what a life with him is really like.